minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. So 
Nine, 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 nine,
done by the uh, cast of the Songs of Jerusalem album. Kol Ish had Hodo and Gamki Elech. You heard Yehuda glance with Aishas Chayel. Asher Bara, that was a.k.a. Pella, Ari Goldwag's Keladon, Bitachon with Imesh Gachech, and Regesh with uh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. And we say a good chodesh. We say it is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. It is the first 
of the nine days here at JM and the AM, the uh, week, or I should say the period of nine days, where we uh, do not uh, drink wine or eat meat except on Shabbos. And um, many other customs are observed in varying degrees, depending on the uh, person, community, and family. We slow down our uh, <clears throat> our format uh, even beyond the three weeks format. Today being Erev Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, we are continuing to allow the um, a cappella selections to dominate our programming. Uh, next week's spoken word programming will dominate as Rabbi Beryl Wine will be turned to for his uh, lectures. We'll have our usual interviews, etc. It'll be a nine days format officially beginning on Monday here at JM in the AM. Uh, take you to Shabbos Chazon, to Tisha B'av, which this year is on Shabbos and will be observed on Saturday night and Sunday of next week before we get back to a regular schedule. It's Friday on this August 5th, the first of Menachem Av. It's Rosh Chodesh morning, all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh. Keep that in mind. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Matos and Maseh. Actually, in Israel, it's Erev Shabbos, Maseh. Uh, for us, it's Matos and Maseh. In addition to wrapping up the book of Bamidbar, we also catch up, finally, with our brothers and sisters in Israel in terms of the Parsha of the Week. Now, I've asked Rabbi David Heber, who has addressed calendaric issues with us on many, many occasions, uh, to join me in the 7 o'clock hour this morning, and in fact he will, uh, to discuss why it took so long to catch up after the last days of Pesach. Can you imagine? It's a long time ago. That's back in April. And uh, here we are in August catching up. So he'll explain that, and uh, he he apparently has a good explanation for it. <laughs> I have not heard any explanation yet, but he apparently has a good one. Uh, so we'll speak to him in the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Honline, an hour from now with the weekly update. We'll talk, talk about the events of this week in terms of Israel and the Jewish world. That'll be happening at 7.40 Eastern Time, our weekly update. Make sure to be tuned in anywhere and everywhere at 91.1 FM, maybe in the Catskills at 90.1 FM. Uh, on your computer, on the NSN app, where you can comment and offer some comments regarding our programming and regarding the weekly update. Rabbi Yudin, I believe, is in Israel and will be joining us live from Israel with a presentation regarding the double Parsha for us outside of Israel. Uh, that'll be happening uh, at about 8.15 this morning here at JM in the AM. So plenty happening on a Friday morning show, even when we are in the nine days uh, we had an unbelievable day yesterday uh, participating in the Bike for Chai World's Greatest Finish Line. Um, <laughs> and some of the moments, uh, in general, it was it was so much fun and so exciting just bringing the sights and sounds to everybody. And it looks like, based on the numbers that we had, that a lot of people around the world were tuned in, both audio-wise and video-wise, to hear and to see what it was that we were hearing and seeing. We just had an amazing time. It left such an impression on us. Uh, but I believe that the uh, the first part of the show where we had an opportunity to, to speak with some of the campers, campers who normally, all through the year, are patients. And to hear from some of them at 11 years old or at 13 years old, talk about what it's like, what it's like in camp for them and what it's like outside of Camp Simcha for them. And we're, and we're going to try to isolate some of those quotes and uh, and put them on social media for people to to hear in, in quick bites. But if you have an opportunity, uh, as I was informed by ZK just uh, about an hour ago or so, or actually that's when I saw it, uh, the the video 
of yesterday's visit to Camp Simcha is up, and you have an opportunity to see it as an archive on our uh, on our website at nachomsegel.com. So check it out and uh, and see what it was like on a glorious day. It was such a great day for the riders, and and obviously such a great day for everybody weather-wise. And uh, to see family and friends and people gathered supporting the riders and being part of the celebration and just having a great time. I think one of the one of the uh one of the things we spoke about is how after endurance rides and races and etc., uh, you know, most participants will just collapse or, you know, appreciate the fact that they can relax for a minute <laughs> on the side of the road. In this case you saw so many riders grabbing campers, putting them on their shoulders and just dancing and celebrating and having the most amazing time at the world's greatest finish line. And it's a sight to behold and something to uh, really uh, cherish if you're able to be part of it, especially as uh, you know, as somebody who um, who doesn't have to ride. Thank God is not a uh, a camper at the camp and just uh, you know observes. It really is something. It's just a, an incredible and amazing moment. Uh, so that's how we spent our Thursday. Uh, after yesterday morning's broadcast. And I must point out, by the way, yesterday morning's broadcast was a great one. The the uh, young men of Keep Alive, who are here from Israel, were were simply spectacular. They just uh, they just had a a great spirit about them, and I think they did great in terms of their their presentation, their singing, a cappella style on the air. And if you missed any of that, check it out, archive section of org or on the NSN app. Just fantastic. It was really just a uh, a great presentation. Reminder, a week from Sunday, the Tisha B'Av prayer service for Israel and Jews in danger worldwide takes place at the Isaiah Peace Wall. Starting at 2 p.m. on Sunday, Tisha B'Av at uh, 1st Avenue and 43rd Street. Please bring your talis and tefillin. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to hear by Avi Weiss, Shimon Mercer Wood, uh, from the Council of Media Affairs at the New York Israeli Consulate, Jonathan Grauman of Americans for Safe Israel, Barbara Ribikoff of North American Conference on Ethiopian Jews. Prayer service is a traditional mincha, and uh, we welcome you. I try my best, although at this point I just can't remember what years I've gone and what years I have not, but I try my best to go every year. This is the first year we'll be there without Mr. Deer. Mr. Deer, who passed away in January and uh, was always a mainstay at the Tishabub service. Um, so we will gather together and no doubt acknowledge his memory and his participation of all those years and the spend Tishabav Mincha uh, across from the United Nations a um, a prayer service that has become a um, a uh, a hallmark of uh, Tishabav observance in the New York area as we remind the UN and others about Jews who are in precarious situations and need help throughout the entire world, and of course, proclaim the uh, the need for safety and security for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Rosh Chodesh morning here at JM in the AM. A one day Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Matos, and Masay. Candle lighting at seven forty six. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 7.46, official candle lighting time. 70 degrees outside right now with 74% humidity. Winds are west 
at 6 miles an hour. Sunshine today with a high temperature of 83. Then tonight, showers late in the low of 73. Scattered thunderstorms for Shabbos, a high temperature 87 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 84. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Missora enjoying 61 degree weather. They'll go up to 81 later on. And here we've got 70 in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. 19 minutes before 7 o'clock. Plenty more coming up. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
all out of places. I've been all around the world, seen a lot of faces, never know where I was on the horizon. Ooh, well I know, I know, I know, I know, so I'll be rising back home. No, we won't forget where we came from. This city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same Are you crazy? Yeah. Okay, I'm in. Hey, does anyone have a spare clip bar? I forgot mine at home.
It is exciting. I'll tell you that much. It is exciting. The bike for a high finish line, uh, very similar to what we heard and experienced yesterday when we were up there at Camp Simcha. Friday morning on this Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. 
Before the Bike for Chai selection, you heard Wayu Maccabees with Home, Ari Goldwag's Hashem Loves You, in Meshkachech before that. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Matos and Masse will explore the whole catching up with Israel thing coming up. Rabbi David Heber is scheduled to join us. He has addressed calendaric issues with us in the past. And he is going to address calendaric issues with us uh, this morning. He'll join us about 15 minutes from now here at JM in the AM. Uh, check out some of the photos on the Nahum Single Network Facebook update page. A lot of great pictures from yesterday. <laughs> a lot of great, a lot of great pictures from yesterday. In fact, um, a whole photo album worth of different things that were going on uh, over bike for Chai. And um, on our homepage at NahumSingle.com, the video. Of yesterday's visit, plus the videos from uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday morning when we broadcasted from Connecticut. Uh, they're up there as well, so you can check that out and enjoy. Oh, I also have to go to the app and see what was going on regarding the uh, comments on the app while we were doing the shows over the last couple of days. I know a lot of listeners were tossing in comments. And by the way, uh, Malcolm Holine is going to join us about 40 minutes from now for the weekly update. If you have Anything you'd like to put into our comments section on the app, and it's very easy to do so. Just go to the home screen of the app, and you'll see where you can do it. Um, then you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to go ahead and um, and comment and offer some questions or suggestions, etc. I want to thank, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is somebody in Israel who was watching the video feed yesterday. It says video feed really clear, great job. It's one of the things ZK pointed out to us is that our video feed from yesterday was um, even better than it has been in a uh, in a very very long time uh, which is very very cool um, Shaney writes thank you Nachum and gang for making this a world Kiddush Hashem event well thank you for that we were able and we were privileged to take something that's a major event in a specific area obviously in New York State and Connecticut and bring it to everybody around the world by video and by audio and to share with everybody just how incredible it is that so many people, so many riders are doing this for Camp Simcha and High Lifeline. Trucker Yitz is in Pottsville, Pennsylvania wishing everybody a Chodesh Tov. He says it's 59 degrees out there. We've got 70 with sunshine and a high temperature of 83. It's Rosh Chodesh morning, candle lighting time, 746 on this era of Shabbos, 746 on this first of the nine days, many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are, but officially 7.46 is candle lighting time. Nine days format begins in earnest on Monday. Make sure you're tuned in with us all week long. Hope to have some interesting guests and, of course, great lectures as usual here at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live. In the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And, of course, on the NSN app. Golly, it's on the background. Our news from Israel is coming up. Yeah, we will discuss the Olympics a little bit later on when Malcolm's on. I have to ask him about the significance of Israel being included in the international sports community. Some of that can't be lost on us. As difficult as it is sometimes with Israel being 
banned and protested against so often at sporting events. But uh, we'll mention that coming up and plenty more during the weekly update. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov and Chodesh Tov from Jamnia. אותם יותר חשפה יוני לבר ישראל כי 150 אלף אריזות של מוצרי הזוהמו בחיידק, כתובתנו אלונה בלקין. חברת יוניליבר מודיעה כי מעל 150 אלף אריזות דגני בוקר זוהמו, אך לטענתם רק 240 שווקו לצרכנים, והיתר נמצאות בהסגר בידי החברה. מנכ"לית יוניליבר ישראל ענת גבריאל פרסמה התנצלות לדבריה אמש התקבל דיווח מצרכנית כי מוצרים פגומים הגיעו לשוק ומאז החברה פועלת לאיסופם. עוד הוסיפה גבריאל כי יופקו הלקחים הנדרשים וירועננו הנהלים בהתאם לתוצאות הבדיקה. זוג הורים מיישוב בגוש עציון נעצר בחשד שהתעללו במשך שנים בחמשת ילדיהם. בהודעת המשטרה נאמר כי השניים חשודים שהפעילו אלימות קשה כנגד הילדים בני חמש עד שלוש עשרה ואלה הועברו לידי גורמי רווחה. כתבנו ענבל תמיר מוסר כי לדברי המשטרה השניים הודו במעשים בחקירתם. משרד החוץ מברך על הודעת אוסטרליה כי תפסיק לתמוך בארגון הצדקה שנחשף כי שימש צינור להעברת כספים לארגון חמאס. כתבתנו ליל שחר. ישראל רושמת בסיפוק את הודעת ממשלת אוסטרליה, לפיה היא מפסיקה לאלתר את תמיכתה בארגון עד לקיום בדיקה מעמיקה, כך נכתב בהודעת משרד החוץ. ההודעה האוסטרלית באה בעקבות פעילות דיפלומטית של משרד החוץ ומערכת הביטחון, שיידעו את משרדי החוץ בעולם בפרטי הפרשה ודרשו פיקוח הדוק יותר על הנעשה בכספי התרומות. כדורגל ממוקדמות ליגת האלופות, הפועל באר שבע תשחק מול סלטיק מסקוטלנד, כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. הגרלה קשה לקבוצה מבירת הנגב שתתמודד מול אלופת סקוטלנד בה משחק הישראלי ניר ביטון. אם תצליח לעבור את סלטיק, תעפיל באר שבע לשלב הבתים של ליגת האלופות. המשחק הראשון ייערך בסקוטלנד בעוד כשבוע וחצי, והגומלין יתקיים בבאר שבע כשבוע לאחר מכן. בריאו דה ז'נרו תצעד הלילה המשלחת הישראלית בטקס פתיחת המשחקים האולימפיים. מדווח מברזיל, שליח גל"צ, עידן קבלר. את הדגל של משלחת ישראל תישא נטע ריבקין, המתעמלת האומנותית. היא נרגשת מאוד מטבע הדברים לקראת האירוע הזה, ובכלל, במשלחת הישראלית יש הרבה מאוד אנשים שעוצרים את נשימתם לקראת הטקס המרגש באיצטדיון המרקנה הערב. מזג האוויר, מחר ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, בתחילת השבוע הבא תורגש התחממות קלה. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב, בהצוות רון לביוד ויואב כהן.
Just may 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Rosh Chodesh morning. First of the nine days on this Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. Uh, candle lighting time in the uh, New York, New Jersey area, 746 on this Arab Shabbos. 746, a lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. He is the rabbi of Kahal Avas Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek down in Baltimore, Maryland. He's a kashish administrator for Star K. We know him best as being the calendaric consultant for the Nahum Siegel Network. I speak about Rabbi David Heber. He is with us on this Friday morning here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Heber, it's been a while. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. I'm going to you and to all your listeners. Hmm. It says when you enter the month of Av, one should lessen their joy, but having you on just increases my joy. I'm in such a quandary now. What can I tell you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's great to speak with you today, or I should say tomorrow more accurately. We finally, finally will catch up with our brothers and sisters in Israel. For those of us who heard Parsha's Pinchas twice, uh, we, <laughs> we have special interest in uh, what's been happening. On the last day of Pesach, uh, here in the United States and other areas outside of Israel, we read the special Achrenshel Pesach Torah reading. In Israel, on what was the equivalent of the same day, it was, quote-unquote, a regular Shabbos. All the way back then in April, Rabbi Heber. And for some reason, instead of just creating a double Parsha right away, or figuring out another way to match things up between Israel and Chutz La'aretz, Israel and Diaspora, as soon as possible, we have waited till now, till the day after Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, to finally catch up. We have a double Parsha tomorrow. In Israel, it'll only be... Parshas Masse. Why did we wait this long? Excellent question. That's the question the Marit asked this question. The Marit was a Rishon who lived um, several hundred years ago. And uh, he asked this question, and his answer is as follows. It really goes back. It's really a two-part, two-part answer, but the first part goes back to Parshas B'chukaisai. We know the Gemara tells us that the Teichacha and B'chukaisai should be read before Shavuos, and also the Teichacha before uh, Rosh Hashanah should, should be read before Rosh Hashanah, the Teichacha in Parshish Kisavi, the Teichacha being the rebuking of Kala Yisrael, the Jewish nation, by Meshra Beinu in Parshish, by, by, of course, the word of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of God, in Parshish Bechu Kaisai and in Parshish Kisavi. Now the Gemara. Wait, so Bechukosai is supposed to be before before Shavuos, before Shavuos, and, and, and then Kisavo before. Right, exactly. Before Rosh Hashanah. Correct. Okay, so those are the two primary rules we're operating with. Correct. Okay. Now Taisus over there on that Gemara in Megillah notes that we want to have a pad, we want to have a a buffer, we don't want to lane Bechukosai right before Shavuos, and we don't want to lane. Kisavai right before Rosh Hashanah because that's not it, imagine going right out of this very strong uh, into Yantif, right into Rosh Hashanah right. and therefore we need a pad the pad is is by Bechukaisai it's by Midbar and by Kisavai it's Parshas Nitzavim okay okay so we always have that padding right and the Marit says that if we were to if we were to switch to go like like Israel in other words if we were to combine Way back, right. many months ago, Achremis and Kedoshim, to get back on their schedule, Kaisai, right. we would have pulled back Nasai before Shavuos, right. 
and then that Teichachah would be too far before Shavuos. It wouldn't be noticeable. It wouldn't be in the, it wouldn't be in the ideal place that we've established exactly. for it before Shavuos, exactly. right. And therefore, for that reason, <laughs> we, we, in other words, Israel had no, no ability to take care of this. Right, they had already read the previous parishes. They had no choice. Right, they had no choice. Right. We had that also way back. Uh, we, sp- we spoke about this in 2005 and 2008 and 2011. Right. We also had no choice. In those years, right. the way the year worked out, the whole world actually read Nusso before Shavuot. Right. It's not common. Correct. But uh, therefore, because of that, we didn't fix the problem by Achremis Kedoshim or right. by Bahar Bechukhoisai. Right. But the next half of the questions, that's what Marit asks and answers. Then he goes on to ask, what about Chukas and Bolak? In right. other words, let's, let's pass Shavuot. Let's read like we did. We'll read Bechukhoisai, Bamidbar, and then celebrate Shavuot the way it's supposed to be. But let's, we should have a few weeks ago put Chukas and Bolak together, right. and that we'd catch up a little bit earlier. Correct. And that he answers. So the Marit says... It's not the regular way, it won't fall out. And the B'nai Soschar, in explaining really a, a, a different year, but it works for this year, explains something really very beautiful, and it relates to this week's parsha as well. And that is that the Chalukah Ha'aretz, the giving out of the land of Israel to the tribes, is addressed in Parshas Pinchas mm-hmm. and in Matos Emase. Mm-hmm. And therefore, during the three weeks when we mourn the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash and, and the, whole, you know, the whole situation... Of, of the Gullus that we're in, it's a big chizik for us that we, we specifically lane Parshas Pinchas during the three weeks, right. as well as Matzah Masse, right. and that gives us chizik, it, right? It, uh, it, it gives Strengthens us strength us, right. to continue, right. knowing that there'll be the Chalukah Sa'aretz once again with the coming of Mashiach. And they, he also continues and says, there's other things in Parshas Pinchas. You have the Karbonais, which we no longer have, the right. sacrifices, as we as we discussed, um, actually, I, I told the Balkari this morning that uh, we, we actually this today was the only time ever. This is a side note: the only time ever that we lane this past Shabbos is Parsha during the week. We lane this past Shabbos Parsha's Pinchas with the Karbanos. And you laid it on Rosh Chayes. <laughs> only time ever. You gotta have you gotta have Pinchas on the twenty fourth of Thomas, and that's it. That's the only time you ever do this. I love right? it. I love and it. We had a bar mitzvah this past Shabbos in our shul, and I thought of this Shabbos morning, and I said, "You, I give you a bracha that I can't give any other bar mitzvah bracha, and that is just as you're going to jump out and you're going to land your bar mitzvah parsha, which is something no other boy ever gets to do immediately. Some most boys got to wait a whole year to right. Learn. Correct. Correct. You should you should be zayichet like your family to do many uh, you know jump into mitzvahs. The, the last thing the answer is the minchas Yitzchak says that we talk about the mayadim in um, or, or actually the the bnei Sasha says we talk about the mayadim the yom toivim during Parshas Pinchas and right. therefore it's also it reminds us that one day shivas and. Tishabov will one day be a mayad in and of itself. All right, Rabbi David Heber is with us. And uh, so this begs a couple of questions. The Maharit lived around when? Okay, so Maharit was a Rishon, which means he had to have lived, I'm going to guess, in the 14 or 1500s. All right, so let me ask you, is it possible then that because of circumstances changing and evolving in Jewish history to the point, I don't know what goes on with your community down in Baltimore, but I can tell you in the metropolitan area, there are people doing traveling to Israel constantly. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, like I said, me and those I traveled with, we heard Parshish Pinchas twice. Right. And well, missed it. If you go the other way, you missed it. Well, we, well, we missed Parshish Bullock. Oh, you missed Bullock, right. Exactly. We missed Bullock. Right, right. Uh, so my question is, now in this era... Of all this travel, uh, you know, how serious is the 
is the notion of making sure everyone hears the parsha they should be hearing that maybe we'd relax the rules and guidelines that the Ma'arit pointed out hundreds of years ago and be more concerned seriously with getting back on schedule with Israel as soon as possible. All right, no, good question. So generally speaking, once, once something is pretty kavua, especially from the Rishonim, kavua it's set and stipulated it, by the Rishonim, by the, uh, the earlier commentaries, and the Magad Avram brings it, and that's become the adapted minig, then it's very hard to, we, we don't really tamper and change things, even though, even if the rule changes. We could rephrase, though, the question, mm. and that is, had the travel been in the days of the Marit, as, as regular then, right. today, right. what would what would the Rishonim have, in, in adapting the, the, the way we know this laning and this system, what would have weighed heavier, this Issue with the uh, Parsha Pinchas, etc., and Shavuos and the Taichacha. Remember, because then you're dealing with a Gemara there, right. and his understanding of the Gemara. That certainly we can't tamper with. Um, what would they have? Weigh, would they have weighed? You know, how would they have weighed it? They would say, "Well, some years we do this anyway. It's not like it's never happened." Right. So maybe we could, because of all the travel. Perhaps they would have, you know, weighed it in, in favor of those traveling. Now, now, uh, yeah, we can't we can't change it. But the truth is, it's really laning is really. Uh, on, on the Tzibor. Right. Um, and well, most, most say occasion. that, right? So, mo, mo, if you missed it, you know, it's the Yachid is not bound right. by it, like, let's say, you know, davening today, Shman Esri, Yalvi Right. Every Yachid, every individual has to do that. Right, so my, most decisors would agree with what you just said, that it's more of a chi of an obligation on the on the congregation, on the on the Jewish people as a whole, so to speak, uh, as compared to the individual. Uh, th- th- then I ask the question, um, or maybe I should say it differently. Maybe I should make it, say it as a statement. There, there are people in my situation, for instance, who went out of their way to hear Parsha's Bullock. Who, oh, okay, good. You found you found the minion in Eretz Yisrael. Well, I didn't say that. I said there are some people. Oh, okay. <laughs> there are some people who went out of their way to hear Parsha's Bullock to either figure out a way uh, to do it Shabbos Mincha either before or after. Yeah, find the place. So we did it in our show. We had it for the for the. You know, many people going back to Israel after Pesach, the right. Bukhram and etc. So we actually had Shabbos that Shabbos afternoon, the last day of Pesach. So even though it's we a chiv on the, on the tzi- even though it's a chiv on the tzibur, you felt it important enough to to g- to gather them together and let them hear it. Right, whoever wanted, we had a balkari ready and willing, you right. know, to to go ahead and do it. And um, you know, it's a balikriya. They 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 know how to lay long. Tomorrow, interesting. Tomorrow, of course, is the longest aliyah. That we ever lay in the right. Pesukim, the seventy-two Pesukim, which is um, the, the Ravi Aliyah, and which, which, if, if I could just, since we're on the topic of Parshas, throw in one more point: yeah. as you listen to the two hundred forty-four Pesukim tomorrow being laid, you'll ask, you'll remember Tysus's question, the same Tysus that we quoted, and that is that Savim and Vayelach this year are separate, right? So the question flips the other way. Oh, put them together because they're so are we short. Matzah <laughs> together tomorrow with 244 psukim. Let's let's and 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 the tzavim is going to be 40 psukim right. and vayelach is 30 psukim. Let's balance it. It's and, less and than the aliyah. Split it. It's less than that big aliyah. <laughs> right. So so the answer really uh, this everybody will really recognize. Tavarim is always Shabbos Chazayin. Right. Right. And, and that also happens because of this taichacha, and that right. is. If we were to split Matas Masse, we laid Matas this week and Masse next week, that would mean Dvarim would be after Tishabov. That would mean Kisavai would be right before Rosh Hashanah, which we can't do because we've got to have the pad. Imagine laying Kisavai and the Taichacha 
and knowing tomorrow night is Rosh Hashanah, it would be Sunday night right. Rosh Hashanah, we can't do that. And therefore, tomorrow is a very long laning, and, uh, you know, it's a long, it's a long being my Sedra, very long. And and the Sambayelach will be uh, will be separate. Hey, it took the Jews a long time to travel, so when you read about it, it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> right. seem like a very long time. Um, so and there are exceptions when it comes about Bidbar and Nusso before Shavuos, as you mentioned. Is there any exception with Dvarim? Is Never. It, no, that's one of the rules. Shabbos Chazon is always partial Dvarim. Chazon always Dvarim is always Chazon. Of course, the pasuk of Eicha. Right. Yeah, and actually, we'll we'll read the all three Eichas. This, the Gemara tells us there's three. The Gemara speaks about the three different echas of Meshra Beinu, right. um, and um, Yeshaya Navi, which is in Chazayin, and then at night we, of course, uh, read Echa, right. for Echa, which is from Yirmiya, Megillah right. Echa. What do you, uh, what do you, t- the nine days officially began last evening, you know? Correct. What do you, uh, what do you drink for Havdalah tomorrow night? I drink uh, beer. You do I, I so. Do so two annual beer. So, but well, actually, not one annual beer. It'll be two because Sunday night next week, when you make havdalah, I assume it'll be on beer. Well, here it's interesting. Chaluka day is here. So here, the mishabura seems to say like this: that next Matzah Shabbos is really a chumrah. It's a stringency because it's it's already yud aleph. Uh, of you, 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 you mean next Sunday night? Just so everyone's clear, right, you, you, next Sunday right. night, which will be Matzah Tisha B'av, right. when Tisha B'av ends. But even in a year where Tisha B'av is on Sunday, the, the Yud of that we keep in a in a year where Tisha B'av, um, we have Tisha B'av, you have to keep right. No wine and meat till halfway through till the next day. Right. The next day, and in this year, there's no wine and meat until the morning because right. it's already Yud Tisha B'av is pushed off to right. You don't break your fast on meat, right? And the next day, so that's a chumrah in that we don't do it, but Havdolo takes precedence. So therefore, ah. the Shabura says that actually next Matzah Shabbos you could you next could, Sunday you know. night. I just don't want people. I, I, yeah, I don't want people. I don't want the people. I don't want people making Avdala next correctly. Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, next, so, uh, next Matzah Shabbos will be fasting. So, next Sunday night, right? We'll make Avdala. So I have one uh, one beer. I'm originally from St. Louis, so uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. So we know which beer you'll be having. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one year. That's it. That's it. So it is. I stand corrected. It is the annual beer. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, so there you have it. Right, David. Hepper is with us, and there was one other thing I wanted to ask you, um, and that is you you had you had tossed out a question, actually two things. You had tossed out a question: How many travelers were there that had very long or short fasts on Shavuot Shabbatamos? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Anybody who flew eastward on Shavuot Shabbatamos, I assume, had a shorter fast. Anybody who flew westward had a longer fast. What did you mean by the question? Right. So yes. Yeah, so there, there, I had a, a whole a number of people asked me this question, and they were flying west. Therefore, right. I had one person that was flying from, um, from Eretz Yisrael to America. Over a 30-hour fast. Yeah, and he, he, he left Matzah Shabbos, right. and the fast started pretty much you know, Almost right an hour or two right. after he took off because right. he flew north, and therefore the light came up. Right. So he had like eight hours on the plane, landed in New York at 6 a.m., <laughs> right. and had to start his fast. Right. Right, of course, if he, if he, if he was ill or felt ill, he'd right. be a lot to eat. I had another call from some, someone going to Alaska, where, where they were all the way north of Fairbanks oh, on Monday Shabbos. So basically, they went right out of Shabbos into the fast, and they drove the next day, and it was, it was close to a 24-hour fast for them. And the, the most complicated case, and this is an interesting point for your listeners, uh, because this is something that 
could happen, and that is that this person flew from New York to JFK, from New York to Hong Kong, right? Nonstop, or uh, I forgot somewhere in the Far East, right? And we, we really he skipped most of his fast because right. he left Monday Shabbos and landed Monday morning. Yeah, that guy knows how to fly, <laughs> except <laughs> except his flight was scheduled to go west very far north, and we sat and calculated exactly, in other words, the fast started in the middle of the night because the light came up, right. and then we had to calculate at oh. what point he's crossing the dateline, and, and, and according to all opinions, and how many hours into the flight. Guess what happened to him? His father-in-law comes over to me after the fast and says, you'll never believe what happened. For six, seven, eight days in a row, it flew west, which was what was scheduled, and that's what normally happens. Here they decided to fly north and then east. Oh, gosh. So for just a, a tip to your listeners, whenever you look at those online tables, which are wonderful, you know, marvelous, uh, you have uh, high tables at Meismanim. To see when to daven. They are, they are basing it on the normal flight pattern. Right. But if there's a change, then the whole thing gets thrown off. And because mm. he flew east, it ended up, the, the whole... The whole times and calculations were were off. Right, but you gain, but you gain, but you gain, but you, but you lose time in, in a good sense when you go east. Correct, correct. But the, the, but it was not as good as if they would have gone the other not, way. Right? It was not fast enough. Right, understood. That, that based on going, see, when he was going west, right, he was losing time, but he crossed the date line. Right. So because of that, it was tomorrow. It was ready the next day, a little right. bit earlier. And then you asked, how can someone? I mentioned this earlier. Mishenichnas Av Matin Besimcha. When you enter the month of Av, and the nine days begin, and obviously you were building up to Tisha B'av, the Simcha, the joy of the collective Jewish community, lessens, and one is supposed to uh, adhere to the customs to whatever degree they do uh, to uh, to make sure that that Simcha, that joy, is lessened. One of the reasons we don't eat meat or drink wine in the normal conditions during the nine days, and other things as well. But you write here, how could someone? Be Mishanichnas Av, Mimatin Besimcha. How could someone observe that twice? What do you mean by that? So, here, so he flew, he crossed the date line. I got a call <laughs> yesterday. I got an email yesterday from somebody yeah. who was who was in on the Far East. He was flying back home. <laughs> right. So what happened was he took off after Rishkaidish began. Right. The question was, does he have to Musaf twice? Cause right. Flying, he's flying out of Rishkaidish. Right. Right. And then back into Rishkaidish. So <laughs> right. he, he went back into Tamas. <laughs> And then he went back into uh, um, uh, back into Av. So that was Mishanichas Av, Mimata Besimcha twice, which leads to a, one of my favorite international dateline questions and answers. This is a, a favorite is let's say a boy is bar mitzvah. There's such a flight. He's bar mitzvah in Korea. Right. On uh, let's say on the 18th day of Thomas right. is bar mitzvah, and he's in Korea that night, and he's, he becomes bar mitzvah. Malotov. Then he gets on the plane, and he flies to Los Angeles. And he lands in Los Angeles on the seventeenth of Thomas, right. which is he. And he goes to the to the to the Gabbai in Shul from Mincha, and he says, "Give me an aliyah." And the Gabbai says to him, "Hey, I got your bar mitzvah invitation. It said your bar mitzvah on the eighteenth of Thomas." Right. And the kid says, "Well, I was no, I was bar mitzvah already because I was in Korea last night." <laughs> so do you do you you say in Yiddish do you become ice bar mitzvah, which means do you now <laughs> you, do the fact he's a bar mitzvah? Do you lose your status as a ben mitzvah, <laughs> or or no? Once you're bar mitzvah. You're a bar mitzvah forever. Right. So, Rabbi Taplin, in his wonderful safer on international date line, speaks about a, the different opinions on this, but it's it's amazing with the crossing the date line, the Shilohs. That, that I, I mean, I, I'd have to assume on the first one that he's not saying Musaf twice. Correct. Because because then the the then the the observant astronaut 
would never stop. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, as they as they circle the Earth, would never stop doing the hundreds of things that need to be done every single day. I mean, I just would assume. All right, you know, most of twice there is a, a whole question about whether you damage chakras over. Some opinions would say that in this case you do. Many wow. opinions do say that when you since there was a new sunrise, you have to damage chakras over again. But most of wow. is really is really part of the day of Rish Chaydesh, and you've been Yitzhak, they brought the Karbanas, you're davening because of the sacrifices that were brought, you already davened that for that day, versus Shachras, which is a morning thing, following sunrise, so I told him to say hollow without a bracha. Wow! And uh, I, why? Because it could be in shul, I told him, you know, when you get to shul, you can end up in shul in the morning. And people will see you're not davening. <laughs> so wait, wait for, you know, you're, you're, you should daven, um, You'll have a chakras on the plane. You'll have a chakras again with with a, with making a condition saying if I really didn't need to dive right. in the chakras, then there's a, what's called an adava, which is a an extra gift spanestray, which you could do in a case where you're not sure if you have to dive in. And that goes with Suffolk brachas lahakel and everything. So spanestray, spanestray has that benefit. Wow. Where where normally we say Suffolk brachas lahakel, but which means if you're not sure if you recited a blessing, don't recite it. Spanestray. If you're not sure, you have the ability to fall back on a weekday to fall back. And Did you say, tell him to say? I don't need to be doing this. This is a, a tefillas nedava. And you told him to say alaviavo, obviously, in that one. Correct. Correct. Well, right. And right. I told him, wait for Musaf till you're in shul, right. and, and, and how you'll be saying with the with the congregation. Right. And you can be already on the plane the day before. Yeah, but you could also be yotze the bracha with the chazan if you want. So that too, right? That right. also, right? Correct. Wow. Correct. Rabbi Heber, it's amazing speaking to you. I'll tell you, I never thought I never thought a simple entry into the nine days could be this complicated. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I hope it is the uh, final time we have to uh, start the uh, observance of the nine days, and we should all gather soon in the rebuilt city of Jerusalem. And as soon as I find all the things I've been saving up uh, to discuss with you uh, regarding five seven seven six, we'll make contact again. Please, God, Rabbi Heber. Okay, great to speak to you and. Uh... Uh, every, all your listeners should have a good chaydish, and we should we should come together in Jerusalem and the rebuilt Jerusalem speedily in our days. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi David Heber, the Rabbi of Kahal Avos Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek in Baltimore, Kashrus Administrator for the Star K, and Calendaric Consultant for good reason, as you just heard over the last twenty minutes for us here at JM in the AM. <laughs>
One day we'll get Malcolm Holmline here in studio and we'll speak with him about the underappreciation of quality Jewish leadership. Sometimes overshadowed by the lack of quality in Jewish leadership. How do you like that? Food for thought. Friday morning on this Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos, Parshos, Matos, and Masse, as we just discussed with Rabbi Heber. We're finally catching up to Israel. Uh, in Israel, uh, only Parsha's Masse. For us, it's close to 250 50 psukim. Yeah, 250. I think it's, what did he say, 244? Um, coming up tomorrow in the double Parsha that closes out the book of uh, Midbar. Candlelighting exactly 12 hours from now, 746. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us for their readers and... Um, Information about uh, all the uh, articles and commentaries that you can read on JewishWorldview.com. Just head to their website. And again, a big thank you to OnlySimplest.com. They really helped us this week push out information about the uh, incredible broadcasts from the Bike for High ride. Uh, And continue to use our content. Those of you who haven't checked out their brand new news feed, do so ASAP at OnlySimchas.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you, and and we welcome you back. Well, thank you very much. And one day we will explore the topic of Jewish leadership. What do you I'm think of that? I'm still trying to figure out what you said before about <laughs> Very deep. Very, Malcolm, it's not for this time of morning. Very, very deep. We'll have, we'll have to do it over dinner. Then, then I might be able to explain it to you. 
you know, I, I, I said earlier I got to start with this because you have a way of putting things like this in perspective. The Olympics begin tonight, this international gathering, uh, you know, centered on sports. And sometimes we have to just um, sit back and be amazed that we have a country like Israel and one that is represented at the Olympics and a large delegation, its largest ever, I would assume at this point, for the 2016 Games. And you know, Malcolm, that the arena of sports is a perfect arena for people to boycott Israel, to protest against Israel. We've seen that a million times. But uh, starting tonight, they are part of this international sports community. So uh, what what is the takeaway from this, the fact that, thank God, Israel is included and is being recognized as one of the countries participating? Well, the sports arena, as uh, you noted, has become a propaganda platform in the past. Remember in uh, Dubai with tennis, with uh, Pair, and with many others, Olympic and non-Olympic uh, settings. So this time Israel has a, a large delegation. There is also a delegation of uh, Palestinians. And in fact, the chairman of the Palestinian delegation was seen to be violating the uh, spirit of the of the games by already and making some sort of a statement, and um, he said, uh, any activity of normalization in sports with the Zionist enemy is a crime against humanity. So this is that's by Jabril Rajub, who's chairman of the Palestinian Olympic Committee. We've discussed him um, many times, yep. and it's come under criticism by both IOC and others because it's a violation of their code of ethics. We'll see whether they take any other uh, uh, action although it's not a participant, so it's, it's, uh, I think they're more limited in what they can do. But you're absolutely right. It's an important platform, and we will see. There's a, you know, a new president in Brazil. They're, uh, in fact, in several South American countries, which uh, uh, um, changes to the positive in Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, Uruguay. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, do they try to take advantage? And generally, will it be the target of any kind of activity? There were arrests last week of uh, people suspected of being involved in plotting some sort of an attack. Uh, Jewish community in Rio, is it one you visited? Uh, I've been in touch with him. We're actually planning a visit very soon, um, and I, but I've met with them here many times. You know, and, and we've discussed this, uh, God, how many times in the last couple of decades, but the South American Jewish community, is it one that is dwindling? Is it one that in certain areas is, is strong and growing? How would you describe it? Well, you have to go country by country. In many countries, it's it's diminishing. For instance, Venezuela, which had a, a significant community, it diminished a lot under Chavez, and especially the young people uh, leaving. Argentina has a very large Jewish community, still a quarter of a million people. Uh, Brazil is, is considerably smaller, but it's a vibrant community. The question was whether they can retain the youth, and in many of the countries like Uruguay, Paraguay, etc., these communities are very small, and those who who want to stay and want to ensure they stay in the community, be sure that their kids are going to be committed Jews, uh, find it difficult to, to remain. Um, a lot of people want me to start, of course, or, or continue at this point with the uh, the cash to Iran situation. We will get to that in a minute. I got to start though with this. One year on, according to the Jerusalem Post, since world powers signed a landmark nuclear agreement with Iran. The deal is working, and Israel knows it, according to U.S. President Barack Obama. The military and intelligence communities, and let me just read this for a moment. The military and intelligence communities in Israel 
the country that was most opposed to the deal, and that's a quote, the country that was most opposed to the deal, Obama said, had come to the conclusion that the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action was a, quote, game changer that had successfully put a lid on Iran's nuclear program and expanded the time it would require for Tehran to produce fissile material, fissile material for a nuclear weapon. Is this an accurate account by the president or not? The uh, well, there are several aspects to it about whether a year later are, are we better off. In some respects, yes. Was there a limit on the amount of enriched uranium? Yes. Were some of the facilities stopped? But to say that that Iran is in compliance when we we look at the broader picture, their support for terrorism is, has increased. Their uh, the four ballistic missile tests all clear violations of a, of a UN Security Council resolution. Uh, the the uh, domestic human rights violations, the threats against their neighbors, their activities supporting Hamas, Hezbollah, their expanded activities regionally and globally, all of those would indicate that you know there was no the attendant benefits from the deal that Iran would somehow moderate that we would see changes did not materialize. Uh, so you can make a technical argument and and uh, point to these uh, achievements. But one has to look at the totality of the picture. And it is true. There are Israeli officials and military and security officials who have said that, that in this regard, the, the deal is better that Iran, at least in what we know, of course, there's always the element of what we don't know, yeah. um, did restrict it, uh, the uh, some of their nuclear program. But there are other reports that came out now that, that uh, reveal... Uh, as the side letter from uh, Iran, uh, with Iran, which the administration said was not a side letter, not a deal, but in fact, the Iranians said this past week that it was a side letter, and they were angry that it was leaked, and they're angry at the International Atomic Energy Agency that they claim leaked the document. But that shows, and there are people who say now, that it would take them four months to break out after the 10th year or whatever point. Could this story be all about the timing of the story? Number one, there is an election coming up, and I don't know if this type of statement or atmosphere the president is trying to create could help the Democratic candidate. That's number one. And secondly, now we know, of course, and it's a deal that we, or it's an episode we'd love to get your take on, this cash to Iran uh, situation. Is it just trying to divert attention or make Iran look more of a neighborly or friendly country to the U.S. as this is going on? I think, if anything, Iran is, is moving in directions away from the U.S., and the criticism of the U.S., the harsh statements by Khamenei just in the last days uh, have been are, are very blatant and, and extreme. And he talks about the, the, talking to the U.S., it's poison to us, and they are, you know, and, and threatening the United States. And um, So I, I don't anticipate that this is a change. Look, I think the president... Wants to vindicate himself. He's at the end of his term, and he, he, he I think he believes that the deal was a good deal, that he was sold it, uh, and that uh, he wants the record to, to reflect it. Even implied that people should apologize right. uh, for the uh, earlier opposition. They should uh, say, you know what, deal. you know what, we were wrong. That's what he'd like to hear uh, people like the Israeli uh, leaders say. Well, I think he would like to hear from all those who voted against it, which is still right. the majority of the Senate and the majority of others. And I think that very, a lot of people are not convinced that this deal is, in the long run, a good deal. And the money going to Iran, you know, is fueling the purchases, this, the, the, the deals with um, Boeing and with Airbus, even though they're supposedly for domestic aircraft, but 
they're used to fly the supplies to Syria, to, to Yemen, to other places where they uh, provide uh, assistance to, to te- their terrorist network, uh, their global terrorist network. And the, the money is not going to benefit the people, clearly, right. until now. And, and the, the Khamenei then blames the U.S. and says, well, you haven't released the thing. You're not encouraging the Europeans to do business. You're not uh, getting European banks to do it. It's because they can't sell it because they have a corrupt banking system, and nobody wants to deal with it, including the U.S., by the way, which has still retains uh, many sanctions uh, and the administration has retained many sanctions on uh, Iran banks, Iran system. So they feel that they haven't benefited. And coming to an election, the people will say that that the government stole the money. There's a big scandal because the exaggerated salaries that were being paid. This was an argument against Ahmadinejad. It's like a cap of $2,353, as I recall. I'm not sure the exact amount, but I think that was it. And uh, for executives and for in government companies and uh, Rouhani, like Ahmadinejad, appointed their cronies, and they paid him more than was allowed, so it, came, it became a scandal, and the people who, uh, especially outside the big cities, are, are paying a heavy toll, and there's uh, high unemployment, there's a lot of tsarists for them. So uh, domestically, they haven't seen the benefit from a year later of what was supposed to be the influx of all of this money. What do you, and, what, I'm sorry. and the money going, coming in, clearly is going to support increased terrorist activities, the supplies to Hamas, to, to Hezbollah, to many others. And we see the, the uh, attempts to, to, to just give Iran a, a carte blanche to re-enter, and the Europeans encouraged to do business. The, uh, the um, Iranians were in Russia now negotiating more deals, and, and Putin is playing everybody. He's playing Erdogan, he's playing the Iranians, everybody and trying to fill in where he feels that the US and the West have left a void. Um, the uh what do you make of the cash delivery that uh, the press is concentrating on this week? Well, we discussed it on the show months ago. We, this is a story that really came out at the beginning of the year about the the payoff, the the money that was paid. Here what they're describing is that a a plane um was loaded with cash, $400 million in cash, but the total payment was $1.7 billion, the right. balance being supposed interest on the $400 million, which was owed for 36 years, and therefore this total, the total amount was $1.7 billion. And what, what was interesting to me was the testimony of one of the hostages, uh, Pastor Abedini, that um, uh, yesterday on television, that the plane with the money was the second plane. The first plane was sent empty to pick up American hostages. And they were told that they couldn't leave until the second plane was there and confirmed (laughs) that they delivered the money, which certainly looks like a payoff. And (laughs) and when they said that there was no connection and that their plane was ready to leave and they were held overnight at the airport because the other plane had not yet arrived, and even though it was on the way and confirmed to be on the way. So that certainly colors the story a little bit more. Uh, and, and, it, and again, but it comes on the heels of that AP story and the question that all these things undermine confidence, and, and then Congress calls hearings and says, what's going on? You, you, you said there was no ransom. You said that this was a, a deal, and yet it appears, and, and you, you the one of the consequences that is feared is that this invites more hostage-taking if they know that they can 
get a, pay, a ransom, a payoff. Yeah. Uh, back for a moment, just for a second, to the issue that uh, the president brought up. When you speak to Israeli intelligence personnel, what's the range that they would agree um, uh, you know, Iran has been postponed in terms of their nuclear capability. I mean, some obviously would say there's been no postponement, but even those who might agree with the president that in that respect this deal was a good deal, what's the longest amount of time you've ever heard that the postponement, uh, you know, will have lasted? Well, those who really know and study this and uh, know how complex what you're asking really is, and therefore th th there's no easy answer because, you know, they look at all the different aspects and the fact that you know, that now we find out that after 10 years, they can start introducing these new centrifuges, and which might cut the time of production, as I said, to three, four months, right. um, but certainly reduce it because they will have these much more advanced centrifuges. And last week they said they had those that were 15 times more faster. And um, uh, so they look at the totality of, of the program and their activity and the fact that given all the tests and all the um, investment in the ballistic missiles, that they will be much more advanced in the delivery system, in weaponization, in in speed of, of enrichment. So the 10 years or 11 years or even 12 years is, is, a, is a blink of an eye in history in this regard. Yeah, that's the point, is that it, it's just it's going to go by very quickly no matter what uh, people think in terms of number of years. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmdm.org, and of course on the NSN app. Malcolm Holmlines with us conducting our weekly update here at JM and the AM. Um, the... Um, IDF attacked a Hezbollah convoy in Syria this week. What type of, and I know we spoke about this a little bit last week, but what type of jurisdiction does Israel have on that border? And every time they go in and, you know, and take out a terror group or eliminate, you know, a, uh, you know, activities like, like what happened this week, is this something the Syrian government approves of, ignores, would prefer if Israel didn't act? What's the attitude there on the border, especially vis-a-vis -vis Syria and its leadership? Well, I haven't polled any leaders lately, and nor has anybody else, so it's hard to know what they think. But, the, you know, it is complicated about what international legal words you have. But you, the country has the right to protect its borders and its citizens, even if it means cross-border raids. You know, we went into Mexico to get Pancho Villa. We, we cross uh, borders in many countries and many places, uh, all those who are bombing. So some can say they were invited in by the Syrians, but... Uh, I don't know if the French, the U.S., and others, the Russians can claim that they were invited in. Iran can claim maybe that it was invited in. But to prevent the death of, of its uh, citizens, and when you when terrorists uh, cross borders, as they do illegally, and threaten another country, then you take the the necessary steps. The, the fact is that the shooting that's been going on uh, near the Golan and across the Golan that required the response was not from al-Nusra al-Qaeda. It was coming from Syrian army units. So the response is against Syrian army units, although, of course, the fear and the concern is about the activities of others. Generally, the Golan has been pretty quiet. There were some things involving some Druze villages up there. And, in fact, interestingly, one of the leaders of a Druze in the Golan came out very strongly against the the uh, report, I think, one of the UN agencies 
description of the occupation, and they said, listen, this is an occupation. This is a, if we have it the best of anybody, just look what's happening across the border and, and defended Israel uh, against uh, some of these uh, wild charges. So the, the, you know, there was also a report now that al-Nusra and al-Qaeda split, that al-Nusra, which was al-Qaeda in Syria, has broken its affiliation. In fact, that was just a defensive move because of the expected bombings and the uh, uh, escalated bombings by Russia and now the U.S. and others. Uh, they were trying to protect themselves by saying, look, we're not part of al-Qaeda. And, in fact, many people believe that that's just an, uh, um, you know, a defensive move and not a reflection of, of a change in reality. And on, the, and on the other side of things, geographically, when Egypt kills an ISIS leader in the Sinai, are they doing that with Israeli cooperation or no Israeli cooperation was necessary for them in this, in this time? I don't know whether Israel cooperated in this particular attack, but Israel has drones flying. Israel has worked closely with the Egyptians. They've been tracking this guy. It is a big kill. Of course, it's illegal. Uh, Sinai is under their control. This is a terrorist entity operating against uh, both civilian and military targets, Egyptian targets. They actually got very, are, are increasingly angry at Hamas because the, the soldiers who are wounded are being smuggled through tunnels to Gaza and that there are ties between, and, and, and supposedly the uh, uh, ISIS, Egyptian, the Sinai ISIS, has an infrastructure in Gaza, and they do training and other things there. Um, and, of course, um, Hamas benefits financially and in other ways from them, including the movement of some weapons. So the Egyptians are, are really angry about the, and, and the Sisi, you know, makes it very clear about um, his attitude towards this, about what's going on, and the, the uh, continued attempts to build tunnels six miles a month being built by Hamas. Uh, and by the way, Israel building uh, a wall with an underground barrier. Uh, and they also will have the ability to detect if tunnels are being built nearby. So it's before the threat actually materializes. Uh, Fatah this week claimed that they killed 11,000 Israelis. This is Fatah, not Hamas. Right. That was of course, that we have an election was. coming up, right. so you might have an escalation by the different parties. The Hamas is 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 challenging Fatah in the West Bank and in Gaza. They retracted that, or they maintained the statement. Oh no! The, well, it was uh, online and they'll, yeah, Facebook they'll post, find right. some excuse. But the statements being made by right. other leaders all along. Yeah, they made sure it got it. Got their it incitement, there. all these things that that are cited by many. I mean, it's just. Totally uh, unacceptable. By the way, in, a, in an interesting side note, the, the chief of staff of, of Israel is visiting in, in Washington now, and yesterday they surprised him. The uh, Joe Dunford, the Joseph Dunford, the chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs, gave him um, the Legion of Merit award and talked about his uh, exemplary, meritorious service, etc. In a ceremony, very colorful ceremony that they did. They, they've done it with some of the previous chief of staff, but this was a surprise. So. It also continues to underscore the relationship right now. This week in, in Israel and Haifa, there were uh, a large contingent of Marines and of uh, Israelis uh, who were doing joint maneuvers, and um, it, it was anti-terror maneuvers, and what happens when they take hostage moving into an urban area, and they share the technologies, they share their experience, uh, but those stories don't make headlines. 
Well, we've mentioned the Olympic spirit, and uh, there is some spirit between the intelligence communities and military communities, it seems, of the United States and Israel. This is something that we really should bring up every single week because it puts some people at ease as they consider uh, the danger that Israel faces on a regular basis, knowing at least, as you've indicated and proven to us so many times, that the United States intelligence and military is cooperating and working with Israel very closely all the time. And I think it's important to emphasize And I think we're getting closer to an MOU. I think it could you know, well take place now in the next uh, month. And that memo uh, and that memo me? of understanding will include even more aid, even more support, uh, similar to what we are used to from the past? What would you say? Well, there will be an increase, but remember with inflation and with other things, so an increase has, it has to be significant in order just to stay at the same level uh, as what it was. And that will, happen before the, that will happen before the election? Uh, I think now that it will happen before the election. With the... the um, National Security Advisor uh, was here this week negotiating. There are still differences. I think on the one, one of the issues is the 26 percent that is used to, to in Israel is allowed to be spent in Israel. All the balance is spent here in the United States, creating tens of thousands of jobs. People think the money all goes to Israel, it's, it's, and it's in fact uh, three quarters remains here and is spent here for the purchase of goods and services. Uh, and for Israel, this is critical because this supports their domestic industry, which has proven to be very productive, beneficial to the U.S. for technologies, life-saving technologies it develops and new equipment. But I think the American military-industrial complex is is, uh, is behind some of these moves because they feel that they, they don't want the competition from Israel right. in the sales uh, to other countries. Oh, uh, and so the... The, the questions were rose were one was that, and I think what will happen there is that they will phase out rather than cut the completely the foreign uh, uh, services they they're allowing them to have spent some of the money uh, in israel and uh, the the questions were also raised about the ability to go to Congress for additional amounts, et cetera so those are all the things that have to be finalized the very complex deal it's a ten year arrangement uh, the only country that has such a deal. And hopefully that will be in place so that the military will know to be able to, to plan ahead. Speaking of getting that done before the election, what do you think of this effort by both campaigns to uh, get as many Israeli Americans or American Israelis to vote as possible? Well, it's certainly a sign of desperation on everybody's part that the small number of voters in, in Israel, and, and from what I see, there aren't massive efforts in other countries yet, and I'm sure they will come after uh, Labor Day when campaigns usually get into full swing. Uh, but it is interesting that they that the effort and the attention that was given in the last week or so to the limited number of Israeli voters. You mean the Americans in Israel who vote? Right. Yeah. Uh, I find it fascinating that both campaigns think it's a group that they can woo. But I, get, <laughs> but I guess they're looking at this entire country like that. That uh, Well, know. it depends. You know, you need domestic people, local people who, who make it uh, attractive. It's not necessarily the central campaigns. It's because right. you have people there in Israel right. who are offering to be active and who are organizing. Palestinian manager of the Gaza branch of World Vision, according to the New York Times, which is a major Christian aid organization, was charged by Israeli prosecutors Thursday with infiltrating the charity on behalf of Hamas and funneling about $43 million in the group's funds over the past six years to the military wing of the Islamist militant group. Uh, I have a feeling this happens on more than just this occasion, right? Yes, unfortunately, and it's not something that is, is new. I remember years ago, 
Uh, I think the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs uh, wrote about it, and I, I suggest people look at today's Daily Alert at dailyalert.org. Uh, our daily publication, people should read it all the time, but the, today there are a number of articles talking about uh, the, the, this issue. And, but it is not a surprise. We know that UN agencies have been supported. We know that uh, NGOs, and when there was the legislation recently, and it was international criticism of Israel for demanding certain transparency about foreign government's involvement. And here we know that Australia, for instance, just suspended the, the, their money to uh, funding to World Vision programs in Palestine. Um, because the head of it, it was the, the leader of, of the World Vision Gaza, was charged with giving the money, diverting the money, and we know that, that millions were involved, that they were diverted to, to uh, uh, in fact, tens of millions probably, from the, serving the poor uh, to, um, uh, to, to terrorist activities. And the fact that you have no monitoring and, and the charges generally all on deaf ears. Nobody wants to to pay attention to to these uh, to the to the activities. And the Europeans have been supporting groups that involved in incitement and even more directly. And and having the exposure, the ability to expose some of these groups and be subjected to the same kind of scrutiny they would be here about foreign money coming into a country. Um, I, I think this. It will give those uh, the, the advocates of that a, uh, a stronger platform. What's the timetable on the PA election again? I know you keep reminding us, but it's in October. In October, and is there a is there a UN gathering? It's next? a municipal election. It's not a, right. It's not a, right, but nonetheless, as we said last week, Hamas can make real uh, inroads in that election, right? Right. Um, is there a UN meeting next week, next month, the September annual uh, gathering? Absolutely. And there will be a meeting, and the, the process of the selection of Secretary General is ongoing. And that will uh, be in place by next month or no? No, it will probably not be till October. The Russians want it because they're going to be in the chair of the Security Council, and they want it to be when they are in, their president, in the presidency. There, are, there is a winnowing process that goes on right now with a bunch of straw votes uh, that try to... Today is actually a, a straw vote today. Um and that is supposed to indicate who has um, the most dominant positions amongst the, the I think there are 15 candidates. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be an East European and a woman. That Those conditions seem to fall by the wayside, and you have men and people from all over the world competing um, uh, for the position. And uh, there's a lot of lobbying. I've met with many of the candidates, um, some of whom are, are good. And unfortunately, though, once they get in, it's this UN system corrupts them. Uh, hmm. And uh, we are, as you know, doing this m big campaign, and uh, I hope everybody will join the petition we have against the bias at the UN, where we cite this one-sided treatment, and th th it, 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 they can go to the conferenceofpresidents.org website and sign up there. It's, um, it, you know, it's really important right now that we keep highlighting, keep the pressure on to to show the discriminatory practices. Uh, against Israel, and especially as a new Secretary General. It's one of the issues we obviously discuss with the candidates. Wow, unbelievable. Uh, if the episodes of Ahmadinejad and Palestinian statehood and things like that dominated you know, prior September UN gatherings, anything specific aside from the Secretary General a choice that might dominate the news next month? Well, Syria will clearly be uh, a big issue. It could be Turkey. 
Right. Uh, there's a big rally planned for Sunday, a rally for democracy in Turkey, with all the parties joining in. But as you know, the, the tens of thousands of people were arrested, and they're still demanding the extradition of Gulen, who's in Pennsylvania. He's the leader of, uh, seen as the by the, Iran- the the Turks charge him with being behind it. He's the head of a, uh, a separatist group, and uh, he denies in, any involvement in the attempted coup. And they will have to prove it if they want to get uh, the extradition. Uh, so Turkey, uh, Syria, obviously, will be uh, issues. I think Libya could well be uh, an issue, the whole fight against ISIS and what, what's happening in different uh, regions in that regard. I think that the, the um, uh, you know, the instability in the world is, is certainly of, will be of great concern, not that the United Nations will likely do anything about it. It's more a platform for world leaders to, to get up and say what they have to do with them sort of mandatory appearance. So they may not get to the topic of that it might be wrong to uh, execute gay teenagers in Iran for being what they are? I think you can count on that. And uh, and one of the issues that we obviously watch for is whether there will be a move of some kind to introduce a resolution in the Security Council on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Uh, and it could be one that either deals with the parameters in general. I think that will not happen. I think the French are going to continue their initiative, and as I said last week, I don't think it's going to go very far, but they will continue to do it for their own domestic purposes, and they have an election in France coming up as well. The, um, the, 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 one of the dangers that we see as a possibility is that a resolution will be introduced on the issue just of settlement, right. to condemn the settlement movement, and whether the U.S. will veto others or someone else, or what, whether they will have the votes, the United States has tried to block moves like this in the past. But, uh, you know, every year is different. It certainly is. By the way, there's a story, a, a headline about the uh, the would-be uh, Jerusalem pipe bomber. The light rail, as we heard uh, a couple of times this week, was spared uh, by Israeli intelligence or security officers who were who were quick and who know how to respond when they see something that looks suspicious to them. And I say it like that because it seems that uh, you know, world security forces don't always get what, what, what looks suspicious. It seems Israeli security forces, thank God, uh, more often than not, are able to detect what is suspicious. Uh, anyway, the, the headline is that the, uh, the bomber learned how to make a bomb off of YouTube. Now, that ain't no headline anymore, Malcolm, because essentially everyone at this point can go online and, uh, and see how to uh, make methods uh, or, or items of terror. Uh, the key now is to try to stop them. And like I say, it, I, I don't, know, I, I don't, I don't want to call it luck, but we do see that, especially in the case of these Jerusalem episodes, we do see that Israeli security, uh, and not, not intelligence, I'm talking about on the spot, are able to somehow quell these attacks. And it's, well, it's intelligence. And it's uh, you know people who risk their lives going in and and doing it, and there are is there are domestic sources, Palestinian sources of intelligence. Yeah, but I'm uh, saying when the guy's ready to get on the light rail and someone says that something just doesn't look right, right? That, that's and that 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 is, uh, and it's often civilians yeah. who who see something and say something, which is why this campaign in America, which people make light of, is really so important, and and why we push it so hard as well. And our kids should be educated about it, that when you see something that doesn't seem right, better to risk a little bit of embarrassment than, than consequences. Uh, the, 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 but even in Israel, you know, 40 people were killed in, in, from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. Right. I'm willing to know more before Rosh Hashanah. Um, 
and you saw the stabbing yesterday in England, right. an American woman was, was killed, that uh, it's very hard if somebody just w- wants to whip out a knife and has been incited and connected or something, it could be totally unconnected. There's no way you can prevent, uh, ultimately, uh, 100% those things. You have to do the maximum intelligence. I saw an amazing uh, thing this week. Uh, somebody showed me a, a, a program that a company developed where they can go into the deep, dark net, which is not, it's the Internet's dark side, and can trace people, for instance, as you said, on explosives, and they can tell you who in this country, any country, uh, went in the last week to look at sites about building a bomb. Well, that's the kind of stuff you have to monitor, and intelligence has to be working on all the time, and every time something like this pops up, they got to be on top of it. Because everyone is a potential killer. I know, but the libertarian part of everybody fears things like that as well, especially when you know our background in Jewish history. Yes, but but you know what? There, there are times, and especially in situations like we are in today, where there has to be some leeway. It's one of the big arguments. Obviously, we want to protect civil rights, and we want to protect people from abuses of, of the system. But the you know the necessity because. You know, people can today go online, learn everything you need to know about assembling a bomb. They can be incited online. They can be given instructions online. Can be told targets online, without any human contact. It's a different era. Mm, that's for sure. Uh, all right. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a peaceful and wonderful week ahead as these nine days commence, and we start to focus on the uh, national mourning period. Uh, let's hope, in fact, that it quickly turns into one of great joy and gladness for the Jewish people, I think. Well, I, yeah. And if I can say yeah, that sure. people will be reminded that with the attacks we saw this week by some so-called historians, again, right. criticizing Israel, that Sinat Chinam was the reason why we have this period, uh, largely. And the, the, you know, baseless hatred and the kind of attacks uh, really so outrageous and people like that have to be confronted. It has to be answered, and, ha- and people not fall into the trap and think that all the divisiveness we see, how individuals and organizations and, and Israel can be attacked uh, really wantonly, that uh, that it, it, we, we pay a heavy price for it, ultimately. That's for sure. Thank you so much. We will speak uh, very close to Tisha B'Av next Friday morning. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks Have for joining us. Have a good us. Shabbos, everybody. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM today. Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Matos and Mase. We'll close out the book of Bamidbar. We explained earlier why it took so long when Rabbi Heber was on. We explained why it took so long to finally match up Parshios that both in Israel and outside of Israel were finally reading the same parsha or will be once this Shabbos concludes. Candle lighting at 746 on this era of Shabbos. 746, your official candle lighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We are awaiting Rabbi Yudin, who is scheduled to join us from Israel, which is always extra special for us. He is scheduled to join us from Israel and um, participate with us uh, this morning from Israel here at JM and the AM. I want to take this opportunity for a moment to uh, acknowledge the passing of Mr. Joseph Wilf. Um, Joseph Wilf, a Polish-Jewish Holocaust survivor, 
and founder of one of the country's largest real estate development companies, has died at the age of 91. He and his brother Harry founded the Will Family Foundation in 1964 and have since contributed more than $200 million to Jewish causes. Joseph was a founder of the American Society for Yad Vashem, a fundraising arm for the Israeli Holocaust Museum, and a benefactor behind YU's Wilf Campus in New York City. Uh, he's the father of Minnesota Vikings owners Ziggy Wolf and Mark Wolf. He passed away on Wednesday, and uh, he was born in Poland in 1925 during World War II, was deported with his brother and parents to a Siberian work camp. They all survived, but did not go back to Poland. There were only two Jews in my class in high school, Wolf recalled in remarks during the groundbreaking for a new museum at Israel's Yad Vashem Memorial in 2000. We were totally isolated from the rest of the students. We were not allowed to participate in sports. No one ever talked to us, and the teachers were distant. It was as if there was an organized boycott against the Jews. He married his wife in 1949. They emigrated to the United States, and he founded Garden Homes Real Estate Company, which has since built over 100 shopping centers and housing developments. And we, of course, here have been the beneficiaries of the Wolf family generosity, and they have been so encouraging to us for uh, all the activities that we undertake and we thank them for that, and we send them through these airwaves condolences and only the best of wishes for the future um, as they mourn the passing of their uh, patriarch, Mr. Joseph Wolf. Our condolences to the entire Wolf family. Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody, and warmest regards from Beit Shemesh. Uh, first of all, it is warm here, but it's a different kind of warmth, and uh, all I can say is, come. I'll try to get back to that later on. It's found in Parshas Masai. To begin with, in America, you finish, we all finish, Baruch Hashem, tomorrow, Parshas, Sefer, Bamidbar. In Eretz Israel, they read only Masai. In the States, tomorrow, Matos and Masai. These two parshios, Matos and Masai. Matos has one Asai, one positive, and one restriction. And Masai has two Positives and four low assays. Now, just understand what you have in Pasha's Matos. The assay of Haforas Nedorim, which is the mitzvah of removing a neder. The idea being the Torah implicitly is teaching that when a Jew makes a neder, a vow, it's going to be with the approval of the Chachamim. It's such an incredible idea which is beneath the surface, between the lines, that if the Chachamim disapprove of the neder, the individual can have that neder uh, removed. That's one. And secondly, in Parshas Matos, you have the, positive, the negative mitzvah of Lo Yachel Devaro, which means that literally a person's words should not be profaned. The word yachel is from the same word as chol, and please God, tomorrow night, we're going to make havdola, hamavdil, being kodesh l'chol, so kodesh is holy, and chol is the antithesis thereof, that which is devoid of holiness, 
the Torah says, Lo yachel devoro, your speech should be holy. And that's such a powerful concept. Moreover, just understand that you as an individual can make a biblical prohibition. What does that mean? Let's say, for example, a person wants to go on a diet. And he, she says, I'm not going to eat cake. Now, as a result of that, should they go and eat cake, they have gone against a biblical prohibition. The cake could be kosher. It has all kinds of hashkocha on it. But that is not anything in their favor. Yeah, he ate something kosher, but they violated a biblical prohibition. Just look how significant one's words are. And therefore, when one makes uh, contributions for tzedaka, make sure that you follow through on them. And even if it's only in your mind that you said, okay, I will give this amount, that's a serious question. You should try to honor that as well. Before I get to a thought regarding that which is found in Parshas Masay, a very practical uh, aspect, and especially where I am, I just want to review quickly with you some of the laws of the nine days which actually uh, begin today. And that is as follows. The Talmud at the end of Tanis teaches that when the month of Av comes, Mima'atim B'Simcha, we literally minimize the joy and pleasure that we experience. Now, we're not a superstitious people. I'm telling you right now, you can walk under the ladder, and if a, uh, a cat goes before you, whatever color it is, it has absolutely no significance. However, if a Jew does have a lawsuit that has to be in court between now and Tisha B'Av next week, you should try, if at all possible, to delay it at least until after Tisha B'Av. So what does it mean, Mematim B'Simcha? Everything being equal, don't purchase next week during the nine days. Um, those objects where the object itself is one that you're only so happy to do, whether it's buying a gift for a chassan and kala, buying new things for the chassan and kala, these things should not be done during the nine days. Buying gifts for somebody else and buying new things for yourself. You're not allowed to make a shechiyanu during the nine days. Therefore, building, you know, if you're building, let's say, uh, something for beauty, pleasure, a, um, a summer home, etc. These kind of things should not be done. And home decorating, like painting, wallpapering, should not be done during the nine days. Um, let me say the fa- planting as well. Plants for pleasure, trees for shade or beauty, flowers for, f- for fragrance, again, should not be planted during the nine days. The minute of not eating meat and drinking wine, well, the last Amud in the Gemara Bava Basra says that after the destruction of the Second Temple, they said, look here, we shouldn't eat meat anymore. We'll become vegetarian. Because after all, the base of Migdash, whereby Korbanos were brought, is no longer there. Let's suspend the eating of meat. 
So the rabbi said, we don't make a law that would be too difficult to keep, because after all, you shouldn't have fruit, because they brought pikurim. You shouldn't have bread, because of lechem atom, ponim. You shouldn't have water, because they poured water, nisachamayim, on the mitzbeach and sukkahs. So to do nothing we can't do, and to do too much is something people wouldn't do, but for nine days, we can do it. And therefore, except for a sudas mitzvah, we can't and don't want to, if you understand what I'm saying, eat meat or drink wine. Yes, if you're at a pidyon aben, and it's in the afternoon, and this is what you would serve all the time, okay. If you have bris, and you have meat throughout the year at different brisim, that's fine. Or if you are at a seum, where the person is learning regularly, and it actually came out that he finished his learning during the nine days. But to rush the finishing of a mesechta, that you can make a seum during the nine days, I really think is against the spirit. It's not that we're being punished, and therefore let's try to find a way, just the opposite. We want to experience a little bit of, for lack of a better way of saying it, discomfort to remind us that something very basic is missing from our life, and that is the base Hamikdash, which we'll talk about in a few moments. Now, we're talking about not just eating of meat, but chicken as well is considered meat. If one has to have one of the two, then they should have chicken instead of meat. Someone who is ill, let's say, or a young child who needs one or the other, by all means. If one does go to a seam, even though they did not participate in the actual learning, but they would be invited normally to that person's seam, then family, friends, then that person can eat meat as well. Tomorrow night for Havdullah, so the minhag is if there is a young child to give the wine for Havdullah tomorrow night, let the young child do it. If not, an adult could, should drink the wine uh, tomorrow night for Abdullah. Um, now, in terms of washing clothing, again, during the nine days, even if you're going to first put it on after Tisha B'Av next Sunday, we do not do that during the nine days, and we don't give, we don't bring in clothing to the dry cleaners this week, even though you're going to tell them you're going to pick it up Next week after Tisha B'Av, we don't bring it in during the week. It's clearly for the idea that there is a sentence of good feeling that we all have when we put on clean clothing. Needless to say, uh, washing clothing for children that you can do throughout the week of the nine days. Now, interesting, many people had the proper custom of putting on their shirts that they're going to wear in during the nine days, before the nine days. If you didn't, so let me at least suggest, wear one shirt tonight, and wear a different shirt tomorrow, and those two shirts that you've worn for Shabbos, you can certainly wear during the week. So you've gained another shirt. Now listen, to put on a shirt tomorrow afternoon for a few minutes so that you can wear it, oh no, don't do that. That's called hachana. That's preparing for Shabbos for the week, which one is not permitted to do. Um, other than that, understand that not only washing of clothing, but uh, knitting, needlecraft, you know, embroidery, those women that do it, we, the practice is not to do it during the nine days. If one polishes their shoes for every Shabbos, they could do so for this Shabbos as well. Now, listen carefully. Bathing for pleasure, swimming is also during the nine days. One certainly can wash, even with warm water, 
to remove perspiration, which dirt, which is prevalent during this time of the year. Again, bathing for pleasure is prohibited, but certainly if a person takes a hot shower every Friday, one could, should do so this Shabbos, and many are lenient, even next Shabbos, right before Shabbos Chazon as well. Aye. Okay, the idea that I want to share with you this Erev Shabbos is the following. The krechts that I just gave is, according to the Ramban, there's an additional mitzvah found in this parsha, the second one of Masay, that's in chapter 33, Pasuk 53, where the Torah says, which means that you are not only to inherit the land, but there's a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael. That's correct. And let's understand one thing, that when we speak of Eretz Yisrael, what are we speaking about? We're speaking about a relationship, because the Torah teaches us at the end of Parshas Ekev. Eretz, it's a land. Hasher Hashem Lokecho Doresh Osa. It's a land that Hashem cares about. And listen to the conclusion of that verse. Tomid, inei Hashem Constantly are the eyes of God upon it, the land of Eretz Yisrael. From the beginning of the year till the end of the year. Now watch. This is such a powerful concept. Rashi asks, on the spot, at the end of Parshas Akeb, what are you talking about? Doesn't Hashem care about the rest of the world? And the answer is, of course He does. However, because He extends His brachos to Eretz Yisrael, they extend from there to the rest of the world. That's why I tell you all the time that in the Birkas HaMazon, we don't only have the first paragraph, which is, thank you, Hashem, for the food, but the second paragraph, why are we giving thanks to Hashem for the land of Israel after you eat a tuna sandwich? And the answer is because even though the bread might have come from the United States and the tuna fish might have been processed in the United States, but the bracha that Hashem extends that there should be sustenance in the world, ooh, that comes from Eretz Yisrael. And that is what we should realize and understand that we're talking about Kedushas Eretz. You should know in the bracha of Alamichya, so the tour says that his father, the Rush, did not want to say that we should brought, be brought to Eretz Yisrael, Lechom Ipiria V'nocham Mituva. We shouldn't be longing for Eretz Yisrael to eat of its fruit. So he deleted it from his bracha of Alamichya. We say it, says the Bach. You want to know why? Because there's even Kedusha to Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, I'm going to make a suggestion. If, and this is no question about it, ideally everybody should realize there is no place like home. I was zochet to come last night to Eretz Yisrael. What a privilege. Being here, you imbibe Kedusha. Being here, Aliyah should be in the back of one's mind. That's for sure. If not ideally in the front of one's mind. But if one cannot yet, then try in your own way to connect with Eretz Yisrael. Make it your business that I'm going to drink wine for Kiddush every Friday night, Blineder, 
from Eretz Yisrael. So that as I pour the wine, I'm saying to myself, ah, I'm imbibing literally a little bit of Eretz Yisrael. It's not just a financial way that you're helping. No, but it's also in a very real sense. And try to make it your business. There should be, if we can't come, Shalosh Regalim, which is something in our psyche that we have to start preparing for. Whenever you can come, that once a year, not only sending your children here, which changes them and changes you, and we recognize that what happens from Kedusha Oretz, but the idea is that each and every one of us should connect to Eretz Yisrael. What are we connecting to? We're connecting to, especially today, as we begin the nine days. We're connecting to remember that we didn't, that we lost the base of Migdash. None of us saw the base of Migdash. None of us can relate to a base of Migdash. But we can understand one thing: that when we had a base of Migdash and bring to the table tonight from the fifth parak of Pirkei Avos and in the fifth Mishnah or so, I think it's the seventh Mishnah. The Mishnah lists. Many miracles which happened. Wow, we're talking about Hashem's house of miracles. No, when you came to the base of Migdash, there was an absolute understanding that only Hashem could cause that with the terrible rains, very strong rains, and the fire doesn't go out. There's something very special here. Hashem's presence was felt. You can feel the incredible Hatzlacha that's existing in Eretz Yisrael today in all areas, in its agriculture, in its industry, in its productivity, in Torah, that we haven't had as much Torah in any one place in over 2,000 years, that literally, you want to be a part of it. You want to feel that this is not just part of my people, but this is what we are mourning, that when we had the Beis Migdash, all Jews were united, all Jews were connected and Amir Tashem by our observing the nine days, by our abstaining and by our giving a krecht, not because we missed the hamburger, but because we missed the korbanos in the base of Migdash, please God, will be Zolcher to the third Binyan Beisam Migdash. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom and a good Chodesh to all.
A.M. with Westside's Mirot, Bitachon. Uh, wrapping up a Rosh Chodesh uh, Menachem of here at J.M. in the A.M. as we um, as we have begun our nine days. Amatis, by the way, will feature Rabbi Wine's lectures on Sunday. When you tune into J.M. Sunday, 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time, this coming Sunday at jmtheam.org. And on the NSN app, Matis will be um, presenting Rabbi Wine and his lectures appropriately enough, obviously, for the nine days. That happens Sunday. I do want to remind everybody that there will be a morning of learning on the theme of Yerushalayim in preparation for Tisha B'Av going on this coming Sunday at the Mizrahi, 249 East Broadway, with guest speakers Rabbi Aviad Bodner and our very own Mayor Weingarten. Shachris at 8.30, followed by a light breakfast, plus the two presentations. Everybody's invited Information is rachi.les at gmail.com. Is rachi.les at gmail.com. We'll have Bitachon get us to uh, uh, to our Erev Shabbos theme. Plenty more coming up Friday morning broadcast at JMNAM. Reminder that Naomi Nachman in Table for Two starts at 9 o'clock this morning at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Followed by the amazing Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix all through the day. Uh, three weeks format style all the way until candle lighting time. 
More from Bitachon at JM in the AM. Shabbos at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos on this Rosh Chodesh morning. Candle lighting at 746. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Here's Journeys at JM in the AM.
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JM the AM. Uh, Sunday, Matas presents JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. with appropriate programming uh, sent in by Beryl Wines Lectures for the nine days. We'll continue with our nine days programming uh, Monday morning here starting at 6 a.m. at JM in the a.m. Make sure to be tuned in. Plenty coming up next week, as you would suspect. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. And um, until Monday morning, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.